we're talking about so much cool stuff today. Really, we're talking about reflecting Jesus today. It's, it's no small thing that uh, you and I today uh, can lead lives that reflect Jesus, and we do that by experiencing his glory. That's kind of what we're talking about today. And so to do this, uh, to, 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 to do this, we, we love people around us. And so we're talking about so much good stuff today, God's glory and reflecting his glory, loving one another. Uh, I think today you'll find today's scripture pretty encouraging uh, and hopefully uh, just really important to your everyday life too. In, in the relationships with those around you, you see each and every day. Uh, I'm super excited about this passage. Uh, let's pray and then we'll dive in. Uh, Lord, we thank you for today. Uh, thank you for just a little more light outside today. I thank you for gathering so many of us here this morning. Uh, Father, uh, we want to be those who would just um, lift our eyes uh, to you this morning and, and to experience you, all of your beauty and your glory uh, and your truth, God. I, I pray that you would give us uh, ears to hear and eyes to see and, and a heart, Lord, that would be changed by you today. Lord, we know these are no small things that we ask, but we also believe that you can do these things, and we love you. And we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, it's been a, a fun time of the year. It's, it's fall time, and definitely feels a lot more like fall getting into Christmas time. Uh, you know, some people are starting to put uh, Christmas decor up already, uh, and uh, it, it's crazy, uh, but we're just kind of getting out of celebrating harvest and, and things like that. My, my wife, her family are farmers, and uh, I'm just at this fun phase in my life where uh, I go to a lot of parties, but they're not like the parties that I thought were cool when I was like, you know, in college and, you know, a teenager and stuff. They're like parties with like a lot of little people around. And it's because uh, there's a lot of little kids on my side of the family and there's a lot of little kids on my wife's side of the family. And so when we get together, we have these big parties, but they're like, they're like kind of targeted towards like little people, you know, uh, not so much the big people. And we get all the joy out of it by just watching these kids run around and have fun. So we had this um, fall party where we were basically going to get together on the farm and uh, everybody was going to wear a costume and we we're going to carve pumpkins and all of those things. And all the little kids show up. There's probably about 10 of them. All between the ages of like six would be the oldest, you know, down to babies. And it is, it's an adorable event that is happening. There's like little elephants running around and like there's like a firefighter with a plastic axe and there's like more than one like little minion running around and the adults thought it'd be fun like we'll dress up too. And so um, Anna found, uh, she found this unicorn costume. It was like a rainbow like unicorn crazy looking thing and it like zipped all the way up and if I could fit in it I would uh, because it looked so comfy. Uh, you know and you know so many comments. Her dad Dad was kind of the scary one. He wanted to be a crow. Yep, a crow. And he made his costume in the car. He got a bunch of like black garbage bags and cut them up. So he had like wings and then like, you know, looked, he actually looked kind of like a crow. He found these sunglasses and he put them on and they were like really dark sunglasses, but they were circular. And then he had this really ominous black beanie. And the thing is, <laughs> The kids were scared of him. It was kind of funny. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, uh, the worst costume was mine uh, because I didn't wear one. Uh, and I think the only thing worse than going to a party and being the only one uh, he dresses up uh, is being the 
only one who doesn't dress up. You know, because if you dress up, it's like, well, at least then you're fun, right? And people can, can laugh with you and be like, oh, that, that costume is super funny or like kind of creepy or whatever it is, you know. But if you're the only one that doesn't dress up, Everybody's kind of like, what's your problem? Now it's family, and they weren't. They were nice to me. But uh, then I even said, to, I, these words came out of my mouth. Uh, I was too busy to grab my costume. That's what I said. So I'm turning into that guy that's like too busy and, you know, important to, uh, you know, and, and really uh, what happened was we just picked up uh, our kids and my costume wasn't there. Anyway, I don't have to explain this. I, I haven't been traumatized by it or anything. Uh, but, you know, it was just, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, my, my mother-in-law had this great idea. She was like, well, Scott, just go to your car, get your Bible, and you can be a worship pastor, right? And I was like, hey, that's actually a really good idea. But because I've been thinking about the passage today, uh, and I've been thinking about what Christians look like, I thought about that for a minute. What does a worship pastor look like? What does a pastor look like? And, and actually, what, what does a Christian look like? What does it look like when you follow God, and, and you know him, and, and you have a relationship with him? What does your life actually look like to other people? And Jesus answers that question for us today. It looks like love. That's what it looks like. You are just a person of love that, that knows him and his glory and his love, and it exudes, it radiates off from your life. Now, Ironically, there is a certain darkness to the passage today. If you remember from last week, Judas has just left. And that's actually what the first couple verses refer to. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And so this is kind of weird, right? Because that's not really intuitive. Jesus, uh, uh, Judas is betraying Jesus. Uh, he, Judas is, is uh, a, a traitor, and, and the events that kick off now are, are going to lead quickly to the death of Jesus. But as soon as Judas leaves, and you sort of can almost picture, like, the, the door shuts, and Jesus gathers everybody. And he's like, guys, listen. There's not a lot of time left, right? Uh, now the Son of Man is glorified. And so what is so glorious about what is going on? And, and so the first way we encounter God's glory is that it's, it's a glory that is revealed. You know, glory is one of those sweeping words in the Bible. It, it, it just seems like it, it just pops up everywhere. And there's such a broad range of meaning, but it's always kind of wonderful. It, it can mean a weight or a burden. It can allude to wealth or magnificence, honor or fame, even like brightness or a good reputation. God is glorious. It is, it is his essential characteristics that, that he just innately has things that are radiant and bright and good and wonderful, things that the world longs to see today. There's a really famous story about uh, kind of his, his glorious nature uh, in the Old Testament when Moses asks that famous question, show me 
your glory. God, I want to see what you're like. I want to know what you're like. And you might remember the story. God kind of tucks him away because if he sees God in all of his glory, uh, there's no way you can live through that. He's, he's too holy and just and pure and powerful. But God, uh, he allows his glory to kind of pass before Moses. And, and what's really interesting is he tells Moses kind of some of the fundamentals about who he is. And you might re- remember uh, the story that, that he's gracious. God is full of mercy. He abounds. He abounds in steadfast love. That is the type of person God is. And whereas today when somebody says those types of things, you kind of have to wonder if they're in the right mind or like, of course, everybody thinks they're great, you know. But for God, it's not those, those ways. He, he, he is these things. It, it, it is the, the foundations of his characters that, that he reveals about himself. He's full of love and faithfulness. He is bright and shining. So all of these things, you know, we, we keep in mind when uh, Jesus says that the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. Notice that being glorified for Jesus, particularly in John, is tied to this event. It's tied to the events of the cross. Jesus uh, is, is being uh, lifted up. Uh, he's being glorified. And, and this is his, uh, it's that his unique glory is revealed in his death. And it's, it's that he's revealing God's uh, heart and, and his activity. It's like God's splendor is on display in what Jesus is doing in going to the cross. And, and notice that it's tied to an event when he had gone out. Now the Son of Man is glorified. And these events, they're not just sad. Jesus isn't being defeated. It's quite the opposite. Jesus is about to have victory. The Son of Man is glorified, and, and death was not the defeat. It, it was the very opposite. Uh, and, and, and notice, too, that uh, the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Jesus is victorious. Uh, he is defeating death. Paul says it like this in Colossians. Uh, he says, God made us, that's you and me, who were dead in our trespasses. And he says that he made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Jesus isn't being defeated on the cross. Jesus is having victory on the cross. It's glorious. God is working through the ministry of Jesus always. He's leading. He's providing. He's guiding. But now look at what's happening. It's all led to this. The hour has come, and now the Son of Man is glorified. And we see that, that God is glorified in him. Uh, and, and that his character is being revealed. Uh, and uh, so somebody said it this way. Uh, I think it was Riley. He said, uh, it's, it's almost like Jesus is saying, now has the time come that I, the Son of Man, should be glorified by actually dying as man's substitute and shedding my blood for the sins of the world. 
Now has the time come that God the Father should receive the highest glory by my sacrifice on the cross. What's happening is that the Son of Man is being exalted and he's being glorified and that God the Father is being glorified in him. It, it's deep and it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper the more you think about it and the more you read about it, but it's, it's all tied into this event. One more thing just to kind of look at these verses is that th- this glorified, it, it, it transcends time. Uh, Jesus was glorious with the Father before the world began. And that is a really lofty thought that, that there is glory that transcends time. And that Jesus is robed in it and, and sat in that before the world began. There's, there's glory right now. And we're seeing an apex of it in this story because Jesus is being glorified. The Son of Man is glorified. God is glorified in him. His, his character is being revealed. His plan is, is coming together. And we also see the future. And in fact, Jesus uh, later in John 17 says, uh, and, and uh, a prayer says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. And there's a past, and there's a present, and there's a future uh, to this event of the cross. And it's so big, it's so important that it transcends time itself. And notice how it ends, and glorify him at once. It was at hand. It was immediate. Judas had kicked off a series of events that could not be undone. And so all of this is is happening quickly. Uh, And uh, this is good news. Uh, when we go back to like John chapter 1, you might remember this verse. Uh, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was always demonstrating what the father was like when he was uh, walking the earth with us. And, but it's, it's been the cross that's been like the supreme uh, manifestation of, of God's glory uh, in, in John for Jesus that, that we can look at and we can see today. You know, the, the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The other day we were in the kitchen and we were making breakfast. And, um, you know, our, our kitchen, we have all this new lighting in our kitchen. You've probably heard that saga. And our kitchen is really bright now. And so in the morning, you know, it's like you walk into the kitchen and it's like, it's a good bright, but it's also kind of like bright, you know. And so, uh, but we're making, you know, we're putting cream cheese on the bagels and the kids are having, uh, are having cereal. And all of a sudden Anna uh, says, look outside. And so we look outside and the sky was just pink. And, and you know what I mean when I say pink? It wasn't just pink. It, it just, it, but words, there's no words for it. It's just so beautiful. And it kind of, you step back a little bit. And, and you just sort of experience what it's like when the sky is that type of pink. And it's funny that I can say the sky was just pink, and you know what I mean. And you know exactly how that feels and what that's like. 
The heavens declare God's glory, and we've seen such a picture of God's glory in the cross. And it's good news because the world today, I don't know if you've you know, been into the news lately or been thinking about the Middle East at all, but it's like people are looking for that type of love. They're looking for that type of goodness, that type of justice. The world is starving for this, uh, for this thing, and we have a beautiful picture of it in the cross, and we experience this love and this goodness and this holiness and righteousness in the cross. How do we know that God is good? The cross. How do we know that God is loving? That he really loves us, his, his lowly creation who are dead in our trespasses. Well, we have a picture of that in the cross. How do we know that he's merciful? That he doesn't just give people what they deserve, but he's compassionate and he's slow to anger. He forgives. Well, we have a picture of it in the cross. But what about that he's also just and he's fair? We have a picture of that in the cross too. That he's holy and he's righteous. There's a picture of that in, in the cross today. And And so it kind of brings a new depth to a simple verse, like, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There's hope, and it's all because he's glorious, and he's beautiful, and he's good. And so so we want to be those who experience that glory. We, We know about him and we interact with him, and we accept his gracious gift, and we place our belief and our hope and our faith, everything we have and everything we are in him, because he's worthy. Uh, There's another glory that comes out in this passage. We might call it an exclusive glory. This is a glory that Jesus has that we don't have. It's part of who he is that that we are not, and I think it kind of uh, comes out in his uh, little conversation he has with Peter here. He says, little children, yet in a little while, I am with you. You will seek me just as I said to the Jews. Now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Now remember, uh, we're kind of having this conversation. Judas has just left. Jesus says, guys, now the time has come, right? But I have to go. And you're not going to be able to come after me. And, and you can guess how this goes over. As a matter of fact, he says it a few times in the Gospel of John, and it never seems to really, uh, people don't like to hear this type of thing, I think. And, uh, but, and before we kind of get into this, I wanted just to point this out, that he calls them little children. And I think this is actually like kind of a nice moment uh, in the passage today, uh, because not only is it sort of like, you know, he's their teacher and their disciples, but it's also a term of affection. Uh, that he really loved them, and, and they really had a genuinely uh, wonderful relationship. And he's speaking compassionately to them today. He's speaking uh, words of comfort to them uh, today. Sort of like, you know, when you tell your kids, the shot is going to hurt, but it's going to be okay. Well, they still don't like to hear it. <laughs> and, uh, but, but he tells them, he calls them little children. And interestingly enough, uh, Jesus, uh, you know, John only records this word once, but when you look at a, a small book like First John that John 
writes later, he uses the same word uh, seven times in that little book. And so I think it's just sort of like a, a picture of the type of teacher that Jesus was. And we've kind of seen that before in John where people would sit with Jesus and, uh, you know, they sort of experienced him and, and, uh, and, and uh, he really kind of got through. They think about like the woman at the well and how much more than uh, did his own disciples, uh, you know, kind of pick up the type of teacher he is. But uh, nonetheless, he has some news for him and that's he, where I'm going, you cannot uh, come. And there's a few reasons for this. Uh, you, you know, the, the first of which is that they cannot be him. Uh, Jesus is the unique son of God. There's, there's no second to Jesus. So, so they cannot be him. They can't either do the work that he's going to do. And uh, Jesus is headed to the cross. So they could follow him. They could die on a cross, but it wouldn't accomplish anything. They would just suffer and die on the cross. But if Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, the very Son of God, if he died on the cross, uh, then there could be much fruit from that, like a seed going into the ground. Uh, he, his death could provide a sacrificial atonement, even for you and me today. That means that he died for our sins and that uh, by faith in him, we can be forgiven, having accepted his gift to us. There is also the preparation of heaven, that Jesus is going to prepare a place for the disciples. They can't do that. Jesus will also arrange with the Father the sending of the Holy Spirit. That's something, again, that you and I experience today. I mean, all of these things. I mean, the forgiveness of our sins, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the hope of heaven. Uh, these are, are things that are, are weighty, wonderful, glorious things, but only Jesus could accomplish them. So they cannot follow him. They cannot come with him. And Peter, you might guess, has a problem with that. <laughs> so he says to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow me afterward. And Peter said, why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? And truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Um, but notice that he says, that you will follow me. There will come a day and, and, and you will do uh, what I've done and, and you will follow in my footsteps. And we know that Peter does. He becomes a powerful apostle. Uh, he becomes uh, filled with the Spirit. He becomes uh, somebody that we love to read about, but the time wasn't right because God had a bigger plan than Peter did. And we see that again and again with Peter, that, that he kind of has a plan. He's like Peter the ear lopper. And then God has a bigger plan. And what Peter actually needs to do is to listen and just to follow and to keep his eyes fixed on Jesus. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. So there's an exclusive glory that we, that we experience with, with Jesus and that we realize that he does something that we can't. He is something that we're not. He has something to give that we need. And when we experience that type of glory, things change. There's one last glory to point out today, and that is a common glory. And this is a glory that we, we share in with Christ, and it's a command to love one another. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love 
one another. Interestingly, it's an old command, uh, you know, that God's people were always supposed to be a people of blessing and a people of love. They were supposed to love their neighbor. They were supposed to love the Lord. So what is new about the old command is the fact that there has now been an ultimate example and demonstration of this type of love. Moreover, that there's about to be a certain act of love that will directly impact all of them for all eternity. And so there's a new commandment. And the new commandment is that they would love another. It would start with them. And, and I think about even for us today, how good this really is, because we're indwelt with the Spirit of God. He produces fruit in our lives. The first of which mentioned in Galatians 5 is love and joy and peace. Uh, and, uh, and so this is part of the image we're all being changed into and, and part of the work that God is doing in all of our lives. But our lives should look like love and not just any kind of love because anybody can say uh, that they love and there's a million definitions of love, but this one has an anchor to it. It's just as I have loved you. And we might think about how he has washed their feet. We might think about how he dies on a cross sacrificially for their sins, but they are to love just like he has loved them. And he says, as we continue, that by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, a couple things here that, number one, people actually see what God is like when we love each other. Uh, First John 4.12 says it this way, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. You know, somebody says it this way, that the invisible God becomes visible uh, to him through you. Uh, talking about other people in, in our lives that are, are looking uh, for answers and they're looking for justice and love and mercy and all these things. They see them when we love each other. Uh, and secondly, uh, it brings glory to the Father when we love. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, Jesus says, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide, dwell, remain in my love. And so another thing about love that kind of comes out, you know, when uh, we look at love in the Bible is that it's not just effort. And it's not just trying to be a better person. And it's not just doing things that you don't really want to do. It has to do directly with being connected to Jesus and experiencing his love, experiencing his glory. And what seems to happen is that it wells up in you and it just starts to overflow and and leak out of you. And it comes into your relationships and it affects the type of parent you are and the the type of friend you are, type of dad and, uh, you know, just the the type of person you are. One person said it, uh, oh, uh, if— You have love for one another. Um, One person said it this way, and this was kind of a quote that's been in my head. It's kind of a harsh quote, uh, but it's been helpful to me. It's uh, D.A. Carson, and uh, he says, The new command is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and to appreciate, but it's profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. Love one another. Uh, There's two things that stick out. Number one is that it is hard to fathom such love. 
It is hard, and we don't, we, we have this thing called flesh nature. It does not want to love. It wants to self-preserve. It wants to do things that help ourselves out. Uh, and so it's, it's hard to comprehend this type of love, and, and that it's also hard to put into practice. And so we keep our eyes on Jesus, and we uh, continue to know him more and more and to experience his goodness, his love, his kindness. And as we do, it begins to well up and overflow in our lives. And when there's an example of this type of love, when we see it in our lives, it tends to stick with us. Uh, I want to talk about uh, loving like Jesus a little bit. And before I do, I wanted just to read you a story. I came across the story randomly uh, in one of the commentaries I always use. Uh, so just know that at the beginning. Uh, so one writer says this, uh, many stories illustrate uh, this point, but there's one that always comes to mind. Uh, Dr. Robertson McQuilkin was for many years the president of a seminary. In about 1980, Dr. McQuilkin began to see signs of memory loss in his wife, Mariel. For the next decade, he watched as his wife's career of conference speaking, radio shows, and television began to erode and disappear. In the mid-1980s, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and her, deterior her deterioration continued to advance rapidly. The situation naturally posed a crisis for Dr. McWilkin as the president of a thriving uh, college and graduate school. How could he meet both the needs of his wife and his job? Many Christian friends encouraged him to give Muriel over to professional care, like a nursing home. He couldn't bear the thought. As her condition worsened, he made the decision uh, that it was a matter of integrity in his words. So he resigned from Columbia to care from his wife full-time. It was a choice between two loves, he writes. The school wisely and compassionately supported his decision and began seeking a replacement. But the striking thing about McQuilkin's personal story is its theological underpinnings. For some, he was choosing a task at a remarkable social and professional cost. He was throwing away his career, but not so. His decision was grounded in God's love for him, experienced also through Muriel's unselfish 42-year love for him. And this made his service a joy. He said, it's more than keeping promises and being fair. As I watch her brave descent into oblivion, Muriel is the joy of my life. Daily I discern new manifestations, the kind of person she is, the wife I've always loved, and I see fresh manifestations of God's love, the God I long to love more fully. Uh, I never knew Dr. McQuilkin, and nobody knows the little ho-dunk seminary I went to, but he was the president at the seminary I went to. So I heard a lot of stories about Dr. McQuilkin, uh, and, and I knew a lot of people that uh, had run into him and had been taught by him and, and knew him well. And, you know, let me tell you something that I did know about him, that though he was uh, an important leader to the school and he was uh, known for his scholarship, what he was really known for was love. He was known by his love. It poses a good question to us, what are we known by? And what will we be known by? What will be our legacy? And will you be known as a person that embodies God's love and shares it with the people around you? 
Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. It never ends. Proverbs says that hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. We're commanded to love, uh, walk in love, to love just as Jesus has loved us. We love because he has first loved us. So as we think about this this week, how can we put some of these things into practice? And, and, and this is uh, way too big of a task, so just kind of reflecting on the verses we covered today. Just the story we covered today of Jesus gathering his disciples and saying, guys, I, the hour has come and, and I'm, I'm going to go, but I want you to love one another just like I've loved you. And we, we reflected that. Uh, the, the first thing is that comes to mind is that we need to stare at the right example of love. Uh, that there's all kinds of loves in the world and, and all kinds of definitions of that, but there is one pure, faultless picture of love, and we've seen it ultimately in the cross, and so we would fix our eyes on that. Uh, and, uh, and that's kind of what Hebrews says, that we would run the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Christ. Uh, this is a picture of a sink, uh, and it has a, a handle on it. I don't know how many of you have handles like this, but uh, this one looks like cold is up and hot is down, and my parents have a sink that looks almost identical to this one, uh, and we have a sink that looks almost identical to this one in our house, and it's kind of new still, and so uh, I have a lot of experience with my parents' sink, and I also am getting a lot of experience with our sink at home. The problem is, is that one of them is inverted, so I can never remember what's hot and what's cold. And let me just say it this way, I drink a lot of lukewarm water these days, uh, because I always get it wrong. It's like a 50% chance every time, but I get it wrong like 80% of the time, uh, almost always, to the point where I'm surprised when the water is cold. It's taught me to appreciate uh, cold water, but that's not really what this is about. Uh, You know, it's it's about uh, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. So we know where the cold water is. Uh, And we know how to respond when situations in our life make it easy to not love people. Make it easy to be short with people and grumpy with people. Makes it easy to be selfish. It makes it easy to, to, you know, and and like so many of us, you know, we start with the hot water and then we get to the cold. but, But when we keep our eyes on Jesus, when we put him first, that that very first love, um, we, we love better. It, it comes out more because we're experiencing more and more and he's changing us more and more. And we all know people like that in our lives that are just a great picture of him. Uh, you know, I, I could talk more about uh, the president, but I won't. Uh, so we stare at the right example. Uh, a second thing is that we would commit to his agenda. Peter had a great idea. And I think there was a, a good part to his idea that, that he was just going to stick with Jesus no matter what. I will lay down my life for you. That's what he says. He was prepared to go to the very end, and he did. But Jesus had a bigger plan for Peter than Peter had for himself. And that's true for so many of us, too, that uh, God, he has a plan for us. There is a race marked out for us. There is good works prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, but as we keep our eyes on him, we need to be those who also commit to his agenda in our lives, even when his agenda, in, agenda is sacrificial, 
or his agenda is, is hard or it puts somebody else first in our lives, uh, we need to be those who are committed to actually just listening. Sometimes that's waiting. Sometimes that's, that's uh, you, you know, serving. Uh, but there's all kinds of different ways that we can just commit to him. Uh, uh, Paul says, we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, a couple more things. Now, one that uh, we can watch for the needs of others. Uh, you know, I know it would be really easy uh, to, you know, pass around a, a paper and to have like three blinks on it and that you would maybe write down the, the top two or three burdens that you're carrying today because we all carry burdens. We all have things in our lives that are hard. And maybe it would be a financial burden or somebody in your life is, is, is really hurting and it just weighs on you. Or maybe it's that, you know, your, your, uh, your body's, be, I, I hurt my knee running for the first time and I'm like, oh no, what's happening to me? Uh, you know, we all have things that, that weigh on us and we think about them. But there's something beautiful that happens when we, when we lay those burdens down at the foot of the cross, and we, we lay those things down, and we focus more on the burdens of others. Paul in Philippians says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Another place he just simply says, bear each other's burdens. And I think there's a lot of people in our lives who have burdens. A lot of times, it's not easy to fix your own problems. Uh, I think God kind of makes it that way sometimes. But when we look to the burdens of other people, a lot of times there's something we can do. A lot of times there's a way that we can help, even if it's just a comforting word or a prayer or something like that. Uh, we can be people who bear each other's burdens, and I think it's a great thing to strive for this week, that we would watch. How would your week look a little different if, if you were watching for the needs of others? And one last thing to, to note today uh, is, is that we would just keep it practical. I think God's put people and needs around us all of the time. One of the times John says, little children, in First John, it's this. He says, little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but indeed in truth. We would be those who would actually do something uh, to, to get up and, and make a difference uh, for somebody. You know, I think about when I tell my kids I want them to do something, I don't want them to sit around and, and think about it. Uh, you know, I, I don't want them to, to pray about it. If, if I say to, to do, I, I, I would like them to, to do. And Jesus tells us to do something here. He tells us to love one another. I think it's a great question. You know, do we love one another? And how can we show one another love uh, in this coming week? Maybe one of your kids just needs to go for a walk, or maybe somebody needs to just spend time with you this week. Maybe your spouse is feeling beat up at work. Maybe somebody just needs a kind word today. You know, and a little encouragement can go a long way, especially with the Lord. That's how love is, that a little love can go a long way, especially with the Lord. But the truth remains that when we love one another, we radiate his glory. When we love one another, we reflect Jesus. And we live in a world that really needs to see Jesus. Uh, why don't we pray, and then we're going to close our time in worship today. Uh, Lord, I thank you for uh, your word today. It's, it's so rich, 
<laughs> you're so rich in your compassion to us, Lord, and yet, uh, Lord, you also call us uh, to go forward bravely and, and to put on love. And, and I pray today, God, that uh, you would empower us, uh, not just to have the strength to love and to care for people in our lives, uh, but Lord, that you would just stir uh, these verses and these truths in our hearts, that we would be those who would desire to do that. And God, that you would give us ears to hear the needs around us. You would give us fresh eyes that would see people who are hurting, people who have burdens. And Lord, that you would just give us opportunities, this week specific opportunities this week, Lord, that we can love others for your sake. And Father, lastly, we just thank you for your great gift of love, that we can know you, we can experience your love, and that we can be changed by you each and every day. Father, we love you, and we thank you, Lord, that you've first loved us. In your name we pray. Amen.